Welcome to episode one of the Headley May Future of Work podcast series. My name is Karen Frizzell and I lead the HR and talent practice at Headley May. Today's guest is Jeff McDonald, co-founder of Minds at Work, as well as being a keynote speaker, consultant and mental health campaigner. Jeff, it's fantastic to have you here. Hi Karen, very pleased to be with you. So Jeff, you have a very interesting story, which we're really excited to hear about. As a brief introduction, you have your own consulting firm. Uh, You're helping organizations to create workplaces where people can talk about mental ill health and become healthier as a consequence. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for for giving me this opportunity this morning to to talk with you on a subject that, as you say, I'm I'm very, very passionate about. Uh, And essentially, why am I so passionate about trying to create these sorts of workplaces where people feel that it's okay to put their hand up and ask for some help? Uh, And part of that is because of my own lived experience. So, you know, back in 2008, I got very, very ill with anxiety, fuel depression, uh, and you know, I'd never, I, I didn't even know what the word depression really meant back in those days. Uh, I'm an Arsenal supporter, so I used to think that uh, if Arsenal wasn't going to win the league, I'd, I'd turn to my wife and say, oh, I am depressed. That was kind of my understanding of the word depression. Uh, but I get very ill. I have to take three months off work as a result of my illness. Uh, but there's only one thing that keeps me alive during some of my darkest moments. And that was, one, my ability to talk about my illness. And in return, I got the most wonderful outpouring of love. And it was that sense of love and knowing that I was loved that kept me going during my darkest, darkest moments. And, you know, had I not been able to talk about my illness, maybe I wouldn't have experienced such an outpouring of love. And maybe we wouldn't be talking to one another today. Uh, And then in 2010, I had a relapse, nothing as bad as 2008. But in 2012, October of 2012, I lost a very good friend who died by suicide. And you know, um, I lay in bed the night he died and I just thought to myself, what's the difference between him and I? And very, very simply, the difference was my ability to talk and his inability to talk. And you know, I'm not speaking to you today saying that had he been able to talk, he would definitely be here today. But I just think that there is a very, very small chance that he still would be here today. And that is worth fighting for. That really is worth fighting for, where people feel that they could just have a conversation which could save their life. And so that, I suppose that was the catalyst back in 2012. That was the real catalyst that set me on this journey. So Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your story, which is incredibly thought-provoking. So as we approach Mental Health Awareness Week, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what organisations can be doing to really ensure that mental health is something that can be talked about so that we can save lives and so that we can create much healthier organisations. As a starting point, what is your view on whether today organisations are actually responsible for the mental well-being of their employees. I mean, who, who has responsibility for the mental well-being of individuals? I mean, I think that, mm. that is, I think that that is a shared responsibility. I absolutely believe that organisations need to show a greater duty of care to ensuring that people in their workplaces are working in workplaces that kind of feel psychologically safe. Uh, yes, there are huge stresses and strains on, on people in organisations today. You know, it doesn't matter what sector I go into, the stresses and strains are significant. And they are having an impact on people's psychological 
well-being. And so I think that organizations do have some accountability to put in place resources that individuals can draw on to maintain good mental health. You know, Karen, I wouldn't put you at the top of a crane without all the safety resources around you at the top of a crane. And I think as we, as we realize the stresses and strains that organizations are putting on people, I think it's, it's their responsibility to invest in some resources to keep people psychologically safe. But then I do believe that it's up to the individual to use those resources. And so they've also got to display a degree of individual accountability to employ those resources to help maintain their mental health, their emotional health, their physical health. And you know, I, I say all of this, I say all of this in pursuit of better performing employees. Yeah. Because we know healthy people are more energized and more energized people perform at their best. When you've got energy, you perform. Yeah. And what gives us our energy is our health and it's our mental health, our emotional health, our physical health, and having a sense of purpose at work. And so I do believe that there's a dual responsibility here. And more and more, I believe organizations need to take greater accountability in creating a safe place for people to work. It's a duty of care. And of course, there's a business case for that as well. Yeah. We all know the business case. Yeah. Uh, but I think organizations need to, need to take that responsibility more seriously, just like they've done for safety. Absolutely. Just like they've done for keeping their employees safe physically at work, let's also keep them mentally and emotionally safe. And when you reflect on some of the organisations that might be further ahead, what are they doing that's better? And can you already see the benefit of what they're doing? Or is it too early to say that? Look, I think that the organisations that are doing this better... And there aren't lots of them out there yet, so I do believe that we're still in the early stages of organizations taking some accountability. But what I'm seeing is those organizations that view the health of their employees as a strategic priority sure. are the organizations that are making the most progress. Because as soon as you elevate health, to being a strategic priority alongside the other strategic priorities that are going to drive the performance of your organization. What then happens is that strategic priority gets the financial and human resource yeah. to execute that priority and make it a success. And I think that what I'm seeing is those organizations that have elevated this concept of health yeah. or well-being to being a strategic priority are now giving it the right level of financial and human resource investment in their execution of that priority over a period of time. So tone from the top and real engagement at the top makes a huge difference. Absolutely, and that's why I'm saying it's got to be a strategic priority. You know, it's the board, it's the executive team that decide on the strategic priorities of organizations. You know, I worked in a, in a company called Unilever for many, many years. You know, we would have a strategic priority called growth in Africa. Mm. We would invest millions behind achieving that priority of getting more growth out of Africa. Or you work in an organization where one of the strategic priorities is to enhance the efficiency of the organization. And so you 
implement a new IT system uh, to drive up efficiencies. And you invest millions behind that IT system. And by the way, the board and the executive team have signed off that strategic priority and those investments. And I think we should be doing the same for the health of our people, because healthy people perform better. I think you touched earlier on your own experience of not really talking about depression, which I guess is quite typical of your generation and indeed my generation, but particularly for males perhaps. I think we also recognise that the millennials and Gen Z are much more willing to talk about this. It occurs to us that organisations that really do have an open approach and create the space for people to talk about mental health, they're going to have real competitive edge in the future when it comes to attracting millennial and Gen Z talent. Absolutely. I think more and more Generation Z, there was a wonderful article in The Economist not so long ago which spoke about Generation Z and what they are going to be bringing to the world. And what they're going to be bringing to the world, apart from maybe our generation, which has been a little bit about produce and consume, Generation Z talks about sharing and caring. And they are going to look for organisations where there's a degree of care, where they feel that, yes, the efforts that they put in are going to be returned by a degree of care. And they're going to look for those organisations where there is that duty of care, where they really feel it. Mm. Um, and, you know, often people say to me, yeah, but, you know, there's low unemployment and everybody's going to be looking for a job and is it going to be really a differentiator? But I think when it comes to the real talent, the best people that you want to get into your organisations, those are the people that are going to be the most challenging and are going to be asking these very, very important questions in terms of the value proposition that you as an organisation are offering to them. Are you suggesting that companies should be making actual tangible investments, i.e. doing things differently, perhaps from a learning and development perspective? Could it be resilience training or indeed offering yoga? During, during the day for colleagues? Yeah, I, I think that if we go back to what I was saying, that if as an organisation we see, we see the health of our employees as a strategic priority, then what does that actually mean in terms of the sorts of investments mm -hmm. that I would be expecting to see within that organisation? And the investment of resources that I would look, like, look mm -hmm. for in that organisation I think would be things like, mm. for example, you know, investing in resources that will enhance people's physical health. Sure. And I think most, most organizations over the years have done things like that. You know, they've got gym membership, they've allowed people to join mm. the bike scheme, um, you know, and, and, and there are various kind of um, benefits that the organization provides to their employees to enhance their physical health. But I think as we go into the kind of emotional and mental health space, sure. I think organisations are going to have to invest in resources like, for example, uh, financial education of their employees. Mm. Because we know that financial well-being or financial stress is a big driver 
of poor emotional health. Mm. I would expect organizations to invest more in the training and the development of their employees in terms of relationship and relationship building and how you develop and have good relationships with one another. Because we know that relationships, if relationships are poor, then, then <laughs> you know that that is not good for your emotional health. Yeah. I'd expect them to be investing in resources around mindfulness, meditation, uh, yoga. I'd expect in the organization to be, be having a sense of purpose for their people, mm. not just about growth and profitability. Sure. You know, that's the consequence of being a good business. But, but creating a real sense of purpose for the organization, that these young people mm. who care for the world feel that they're part of an organization that's doing some good out there. And yes, then there would be all sorts of other training like you suggest, yeah. you know, whether that's, I much prefer the word resourcefulness to right. resilience, yes. because I think that we should teach people to be more resourceful rather than resilient, because yeah. I'm trying to break the stigma around mental ill health, sure. and resilience often conjures up, oh, you've got to be tough and you've got to be strong and bounce back from hard times. But, but I want people to be resourceful and to use those resources to proactively maintain their health. So yes, Karen, I think that there's got to be a lot of investment in and I also think in terms of just leadership development and teaching yeah. leaders how to lead, I think we should be building in, you know, how do leaders look after their own well-being? How do they look after their own health so that they can bring energy and passion sure. to their workplace? It's the question of performance and productivity mm -hmm. and how we balance all of this. And I guess it's the kind of long-term gain versus perhaps the short-term investment. Um, but do you have people challenging you on that particular point? I mean, some of the challenge from a, from a performance point of view around people who might be um, suffering from a mental ill health challenge mm. uh, is, is, you know, we might recognise and we might be tolerant to all of that. Yeah. Um, and we've got to give that person the right kind of support and care and love yeah. to get better. Yeah. But does there come a time where that person just is not able to do that job yeah. and is not performing? So you've given them all the support. You know, they've been off work for a while. They come back. They try it again. They come back. And where do you eventually draw the line sure. in terms of saying, you know, your mental ill health is having a very negative impact on your ability to perform? Mm. And I, you know, I do get challenged. And, and I think mm. my, my response to that is, is, first of all, you know, as long as at the outset we have shown a very tolerant mm. uh, attitude towards this particular individual, We've allowed this individual to be very open about why they are not performing as well as they should be. Mm -hmm. And it is because they are ill, in inverted commas. Yeah. And it is because they need some time off. And it is because they need some support and some resources. Yeah. And, I think, and I think if we manage them positively and well, I think in the main, those people come through. Yeah. Now, there will always be the exceptions. There will yeah. always be the exceptions. And of course, there will come a time where you might have to draw a line in the sand, sure. and then with all the love and the care that you support that person to maybe go and find a job or a role that is more suited to yes. who they are. So, so yes, I think that um, you know I do sometimes get those those sorts of challenges, but you know at the end of the day, I really do believe that you know we should we should be talking about 
mental health and our overall health within the context of mm. performance. Yeah. Um, and I would love us to have performance management equations in organizations where performance doesn't just equal knowledge plus skill plus behavior plus experience. Mm. That's the typical equation in all organizations mm. today. You know, they develop performance management systems, they develop uh, development conversations with people through the lens of that equation, which says you've got to have knowledge, skill, behavior, and experience. I want to add to that equation multiplied by energy. I like that. Multiplied because if energy. energy is zero, P will be zero. Yeah. And we get our energy from our health. Yeah. And so what I would love to see is I want us to start seeing organizations seeing as critical to the performance of individuals is them having energy, just like them having knowledge and skills, yeah. just like them having the right behaviors. And I would love us to see that we have a development conversation where I don't walk away from my development conversation just with a skill development plan or a behavior development plan, but I also have a well-being plan. Very interesting. I have a well-being plan. Yeah. And if I, as an organization, are providing those resources we spoke about earlier, physical, emotional, mental, yeah. then I as the individual should draw on those resources as part of my well-being plan. And why do I want to maintain my well-being? So that I can be energized. Why do I want to be energized? So that I can perform well. So we come back to the shared responsibility. If organizations can provide their employees with a set of resources, yes. then we employees have a responsibility to, 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 use, to, those to use those resources. Yes. And you know, Karen, I don't want to fire somebody because they've got no energy. Right? So I don't want to be positioning this within the performance management system, which kind of says, oh, I've done a performance review of you and your energy is low, and so therefore we're going to have to have a conversation. You've not taken up our yoga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I do want to be able to say is I want to say, you know what? We in this organization realize the stresses and strains. We're being authentic about the fact that this is a demanding place to work. Guess yeah. what? We've invested millions mm. around some resources to help you to maintain your health and your energy here because yeah. it's critical for your performance. Yeah. Now, as part of your development, as part of our duty of care to you, as part of us wanting to see you grow and thrive in this demanding workplace, mm. go and use those resources. Yeah. And so I want to position it as a developmental opportunity for people by having a well-being development plan yeah. rather than a stick to beat you on because you've got no energy. So Jeff, you've done some phenomenal pieces of work with clients, organisations. We're talking about trekking in the Himalayas, getting people out and about to talk um, in an environment that is not an intense work environment. That's clearly quite a significant investment. Um, indeed, some of the other benefits we were talking about are also quite significant investments. But what are some of the more day-to-day -day things that we can all be doing? I think there are four things, very simply, Karen, that, that I would like to see more and more uh, organizations doing, and just individuals in those organizations, mm. just individuals in the organizations. And the first thing that I would like every working person to do across all workplaces is please just reflect on your own relationship to mental ill health. Mm. What is that relationship? Is it a relationship of tolerance or is it a relationship of intolerance? And if it's a relationship of intolerance,
please just go and be curious. Please just go and read about mental ill health. Go and learn a bit about depression and anxiety and what is stress. Go and talk to somebody that you might know who've suffered in the past. But just become curious around this issue. Because if you're curious about it, I'm sure your levels of tolerance will rise and we'll create workplaces where there's a tolerant relationship to mental ill health. So that's the first thing that I just, every day an individual can go and do, sure. is reflect on that relationship. Become informed. Yeah, and be curious. Yeah. The second thing that every single individual could do in their organization is just start a conversation with your team, with some of your peers, with your colleagues, just start a conversation in your organization mm -hmm. around mental health. Because you know, Karen, I honestly believe that if we just can get the conversation going, anything is possible. Absolutely. You know, Kennedy put a man on the moon and brought him back safely. Why? Because they started a conversation around a table once upon a time. Guess what? It happened. But if we can't have the conversation, sure. then nothing is possible. The third thing that I would ask individuals to really consider to consider, and, and I ask this, that they consider this once they feel, they feel supported, they feel safe, they feel the environment is good. Tell your story, mm -hmm. because we've all got a story. Sure. You know, we've all got a story. Now, not everybody's got a story like mine, which was a real crucible moment in life, mm -hmm. but we've all got a story. We, we know somebody else who might have suffered. We've got a brother, we've got a sister, we've got a mother, we've got a father. And if we're going to tell a story about them, it's really important we get their permission to mm -hmm. tell that story. Mm -hmm. But just starting to share some stories, it's so, so powerful in beginning to normalize and create an environment where, you know what, every single story that we tell, I often say this, it's like sending a lifeboat out into the ocean. And the people that are suffering in silence, they cling on to that lifeboat. And they realize they're not alone and they are normal. And the fourth thing that I would just ask organizations to do is please just, you know, you spend billions in health and safety. Mm. Please take some of that money that is all going to safety and invest it in enhancing the health of your people. And when it comes to mental health, please just train everybody. Just mm. do a 90 minute, do a two hour training session, which, which, which raises the levels of awareness and understanding to what is depression, what is anxiety, what is stress, what are the symptoms to look out for, how do I have a conversation with somebody, how do I bring somebody back into the workplace. So reflect on your own relationship, start a conversation, tell your story and invest in training right across the organization to raise the levels of tolerance. Those are four fantastic recommendations. And they're not difficult, they're not difficult. Yeah. And you know, Karen, the other thing that for me, that is, I just, you know, people often say to me, what are, what are some of the real barriers? Why are we not seeing progress like we would be expected to see progress? And, and I think, you know, over the last six years of campaigning in this particular area and advocating, the conversation has definitely moved from why should I be concerned about this to a conversation which is what must I do? And now I think more and more senior people in organizations know what they must do. They also know that health should be a strategic priority. And what I think is missing mm. is the will to do it. Yeah. Just the will to do it. And that's the financial investment. We have to actually put some 
proper financial investment exactly. behind this, otherwise we don't move the envelope. Exactly. Like so many initiatives, whether it's diversity and inclusion, talent and development, yes. there has to be engagement right at the top. Yes. There has to be financial investment and there has to be some discipline associated yeah. with it too. Absolutely. And if it's a strategic priority, there will be financial investment, but are leaders willing to make it a strategic priority. Yeah. I think it's about that degree of will. Yeah. And you know, there are lots of people out there in the world now who can help these leaders answer the question what to do. Yeah. But it's now the will to do it. Intellectually, people absolutely can now link this. Yes. They understand the cause and the effect. Yes. Healthy people, healthy organizations. Yes. But we need to move it from the abstract into the actual make things happen, do things differently. Yeah. Jeff, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. We're thrilled that you're such an advocate and you're such a role model. And we wish you the very best as you continue on your journey. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for listening to episode one of the Headley May Future of Work podcast. If you're interested to find out more about Headley May, visit our website at www.headleymay.com.